0: we are recording once again. Here we are, all together again. Seems like we we're seems like we do this every day, doesn't it? It just feels like at least once a week. <laughs> yeah, but it feels like I don't know, even the weeks feel like they're 3 days long now cuz I don't know. I don't know if it's just a summer thing, so.
1: Yeah. Well, I just got done processing last the the podcast that we recorded for this week last week. So to me, it's kind of really deja vu as well.
0: Yeah. And I just got done editing that podcast that I just sent to you to process. Well, there there you go. We just live, breathe and sleep. All about
1: podcasts.
0: All about podcasts. So, Um, so that is the soothing voice of Bill Sutton and um, say hi Bill to the folks at home.
1: Hi folks at home. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the express news group
0: or in their car, which is another possibility They could be in their car.
1: Or jogging. I mean, Fred, Fred, Th- or walking. Fred Thiel said he, he listens to it every Saturday morning
0: on his walk. Yeah. He said sometimes he screams at us in anger too because of what we saying. Of course. <laughs> um, also, here is Brendan J. O'Reilly. Hi, Brendan. How are you?
2: Hi, everybody. I'm Brendan. I am the features editor.
0: And my name is Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And we have two special guests joining us today. First of all is Zoe Kava, who was our summer intern, and she's just getting ready to go back to school. Um, but we thought it would be fun to have Zoe on this particular podcast. So how are you, Zoe?
3: I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's
0: fun. And we also have Chris Paparo. Did I say your name right?
4: You did. And you got it.
0: Chris is with the South Fork Natural History Museum, and he um, heads up their Shark Research department is that is a department or is it a section
4: yeah I'm, I'm part of the shark research team yes
0: you know it's funny my daughter who's now in college herself she was a SOFO intern and she came home all excited the day I think you guys had brought in a dead shark and you cut it up in the backyard um, <laughs> that was the highlight of that particular summer so I thank you for that <laughs>
4: Awesome. Yeah, no, it, was, it was probably one of the white sharks. We, when we get a white shark wash up, we, that's what we usually do. So she, she got a pretty special treat then at that point.
0: Yeah, she was excited. I think it was a little one. But that's what, you know, so we're talking about sharks today in case no one's noticed. And Zoe actually wrote a story for the paper that was in the August 26th issue about sharks. So Zoe, I wonder, do you want to talk a little bit about the shark issue? And what did you know about sharks before you jumped into this story? And has your opinion changed on them after talking with Chris for this article?
3: yeah, I mean, I knew like absolutely nothing about sharks. I was definitely probably one of the people who just like, here's the word shark and jumps up and is scared immediately. But I think part of what Chris and his team are trying to do is trying to just raise awareness and get people to understand that sharks aren't really scary. They're not they're not out there to get you. They're not they're they're fish eaters, so they're not looking to eat you. and they're actually like really good for our environment, and it's a sign that, the The ocean ecosystem is healthy. Yeah. So, Chris, if you want to just start, maybe by telling us like what your what your team has seen in terms of shark population this summer. Um, I know large part of what you do is catching and tagging the sharks, and you've been doing this for a couple summers now. So, what what's different this summer? What have you guys seen so far?
4: Yeah. Yeah. So the SOFO shark team. So it started with just four of us um, before SOFO was was fully involved with us. Uh, it was just four friends that like to fish and like, like to catch sharks. And we kind of started doing that around 2012. We started trying to get serious. Um, since then, uh, we've, we're have we now part of the South Fork Natural History Museum's uh, shark research team. Uh, we've tagged over 30 great white sharks right here on Long Island. Uh, we've tagged countless makos, blue sharks, sand tigers, sandbar, Dusky, Tiger, Hammerhead. So just to name a few of the sharks we work with, but particularly this summer, we've been kind of focusing on the spinner sharks because uh, that's been the big craze in the, in the, in the news lately is these, these schools of sharks really close to the beach. And uh, for us, it's something new because this is a species that's generally not here. Uh, they, they're more of a mid-Atlantic species. They'll range up to nor- uh, Southern Jersey, uh, but Long Island is a little bit further than their range. And historically, they've been reported as far north as Massachusetts, uh, but not commonly. In the last two summers, we've been seeing many, many, many of them, uh, which has been causing a lot of chaos and uh, panic at the local beaches. So how
0: big are, are um, spinner sharks, would you say?
4: They can get about eight foot, you know, a couple hundred pounds, you know, 300 pounds, uh, fully grown. Uh, you know, they so they're a sizable shark. And I think that's what gets people, you know, afraid is, They see this big shark and right away the movie Jaws pops into your head. You know, you hear that, you know, the the theme song of Jaws and everybody just kind of panics. But uh, as we mentioned earlier, you know, sharks really aren't out there to eat people. Uh, All the species that I mentioned, uh, including the great white, uh, locally are here to feed on fish. You know, they're all fish eaters. Um, The great whites that we deal with are Our babies, they're about a year, less than a year old. Some of them are about three to six months old. They're about four foot long when they're born. Uh, So at that size, they're really not targeting seals or turtles or large stuff. They're eating flounder, skates, dogfish, and most importantly, Atlantic menhaden, which is better known locally as bunker.
0: And that's what's returned in big numbers that have really brought back a lot of other wildlife. I think that um, I had seen the movie um, documentary about the keystone species around the world. And there's a thought that, um, you know, keystone species being that's the species that the whole ecosystem really um, relies on. And then out here that bunker or menhaden is really our keystone species.
4: Yeah. Honestly, it's the most important fish in the ocean uh, locally, at least in the Atlantic here. Um, You know, you can't eat them. And when I tell you can't eat something, you, you take that to the bank because I'll eat everything and anything. Uh, I've tried to and I've tempted eating bunker. I've done everything that you're supposed to do. And every time I fillet them, I'm like, well, this is just stupid. I'm, what am I doing here? Um, but so nobody really ever cared about them. But people said f- still fished for them. And uh, they would fish for them for bait to catch, in quote, air quotes, better stuff like tuna, shark, lobster, uh or there was the bigger fishery for them is what's known as a reduction fishery so the boats go out and they haul up millions of tons of these bunker and they reduce them into other stuff such as makeup fish supplements uh fish meal for like aquaculture um fish uh livestock so for like pigs and cows things like that you put it in like cat food uh to, to an extent yeah i mean it's honestly it's more ground up to some of those other stuff and more like meal like pelleted ties stuff is more as as opposed to like a cat food um you know but again nobody nobody really cared because like well it's not commercially important for a food fish so just take this trash fish out of the ocean and, and do whatever you want with it but you know one day you know there were a bunch of fisheries biologists sitting around and they're all complaining they all have their own thing that they work with some work with striped bass tuna sharks whales dolphins bald eagles osprey you know you name it and the one common denominator that all those biologists are having or with their focused critters is they all eat bunker. Uh, and so it's like, all right, you know what, maybe we should regulate the bunker harvest, you know, cause it was unregulated. And the idea was, Oh, well, if we regulate the bunker that we take out of the ocean, maybe there'll be enough food for these other animals to rebound on their own. And within a couple of years of managing or, you know, adjusting how much fish could be taken We started seeing large schools of bunker. I mean, it's not uncommon to go out and actually I saw this this morning football field size schools of Atlantic menhaden just cruising along the surface. And, and as soon as they came back, all sorts of stuff followed them. The, the, you know, the sharks, which we're seeing now, whales, dolphin, these are all things that are very common in our waters today, uh, which historically were always common. There's just nobody alive today that remembers those days because whales, dolphins, we hunted them almost to extinction sharks, same thing. We fished them so heavily that many of those populations almost collapsed. So Now that we protected the bunker, the bunker are coming back. The fish that used to feed on them or animals that used to feed on them are coming back. So it's kind of filling in that whole picture.
2: Chris, so what do those fisheries do when they're told you can't take all these bunker that you've been taking all these years? I imagine they had to go someplace else to replace that stock.
4: Yeah, they do a lot of fighting. Omega is one of the largest fisheries for them, and they go down and they, they harvest all these fish. And as soon as their quotas went up, they started lobbying and fighting, uh, you know, saying, hey, you know, that's not true. There's plenty of fish out there. We're not taking that much. But the realistic part of it is they were, um, you know, because, again, when I, I've grown up here my whole life fishing, and I never saw bunker schools like we see today. Uh, that all happened from the regulations. So they did a lot of fighting. Uh, they still do a lot of fishing. You know, they're still harvesting. In some cases, they go over their quotas. Uh, you know, so that's, and that's just it. Like, what do they do next? You know, the, uh, that's a problem with fisheries. Once they overfish something, they just move on to the next item, the next item. You can, you can see that locally today with a lot of things that were never important. Lobster is another one that was never considered important. That was peasant food. Uh, now, you know, lobsters are in peril in certain places, you know, they're just being overfished. So, uh, now they move on to other species. Like locally, a lot of the lobstermen are now going for whelks which is uh, better known as squangeli, you know, but that's a big snail. Uh, In many cases, those snails are disappearing now because of overfishing. So uh, it's definitely quite the challenge of what to do next.
0: But what year did they put the Manhattan um, regulations in place? Like how long ago was it that they really regulated being able to catch them out here? I'm really
4: bad at all the dates, to be honest with you. I know it's, uh, I think New York state banned hall seining within three miles. So it's state waters. I want to say it was three, maybe four years ago. Uh, the larger regulation if the federal where they just kind of started to manage them was probably about 10 to 15. Don't don't exactly quote me on that, but it was r- roughly within that time frame.
0: So do the other states follow suit or do these guys just like, all right, New York won't let us catch bunker. So we'll just, you know, go up to Massachusetts or down to Jersey. I just wonder, you know, how are the other jurisdictions near us uh, managing their populations?
4: Well, well, that's just it. So like that big group uh, that's doing most of the harvesting, they're based out of Virginia. You know, so they're coming to New York waters because they're not getting as much bunker in Virginia anymore. You know, because they've already hard harvested those areas, and a lot of the states are trying to implement similar policies on caps on how much they can harvest per year. You know, and you know, me personally, I'm not I'm not saying shut it down. I don't I don't think we should completely shut it down. You know, it's a resource, and when the resource is managed properly, there's enough for everybody and all the animals as well. It's just a matter of doing the right thing. you know, for, for, the, for the bigger picture.
1: What a, what a quick turnaround if, in <clears throat> three years to see the population increase, you know, as much as, as it has. And, and you said that that just generally makes the entire environment better.
4: See, and, and that's what's interesting. So, so a fish like Bunker, for example, they reproduce uh, pretty quickly. They don't live very long. Uh, but when they do reproduce, they produce millions mm-hmm. of eggs. Now, granted, not every egg Um, hatches or i mean survives but they put millions the opposite is with the sharks so i I mentioned earlier a lot of the shark species were uh were overfished heavily and you know species like the sand tiger shark for example can live well over 50 years uh in age but they don't reach maturity till they're about 10 to 15 years old and at that point they only give birth to two every other year now granted those sharks are two feet long so they're bigger than most of the fish in the ocean but that's still not a, a fast enough recovery for a high pressured fishery. Um, so that's where so as soon as they regulate a bunker they can make a quick comeback because they reproduce in large numbers they reproduce young they reproduce quickly. You know some of these sharks have taken decades to get back to where we are now.
2: Chris, I remember going to an exhibit where there was it was an environmental exhibit south end in, in the art center and there was photos of just like hundreds of shark fins and it seemed like these fisheries all they really wanted was shark fins where you know is anybody even using the whole shark
4: so shark fin soup is what drives the shark fins and that's something that's cultural to uh you know china japan and many places now have banned the practice of finning so so that's where many of our shark species also were decimated was due to the the, the finning in the 60s and 70s, where they would go out and just harvest the sharks, cut the fins off, discard the shark. And the reason they do that for is because if you had to keep every shark, well, now you can't keep as many fins because you run out of room eventually. But if you just take the fins, you could tend to 100 times more shark fin, you know, pro- product on your boat. Um, so that pro- um, fishery has been banned. Uh, many states now are banning the trade and countries, I should say, are banning the trade of fins. So you, you might say, well, if they banned the finning, well, what, you know, why ban the trade? Well, what happens is when someone catches a shark legally, um, they, you know, I just got fins, you know, and often they would cut the fins off and they could sell those because it was harvested legally. Uh, the problem they're running into now is you get a lot of people, it's hard to say, well, was it harvested legally? There's this whole black market for bringing in these for shark fins. So now they're talking about banning complete trade of shark fins, which means if I were to, if I was a commercial fisherman and I caught a shark, legally uh i couldn't sell the fins i'd have to throw the fins out which to me i kind of i don't like that idea because if they're legally caught i'd like to see the resource completely utilized as much as possible um but again you get this this gray area where it gets tricky uh where you have people doing the wrong thing not everybody's not everybody's up and up on their process
2: could you sell the whole shark and then they could just decide what they want to do with the fins
4: well that so that's i mean that but that's yeah but Yes. I mean, you guess you'd have to do that, but then that becomes a lot more costly. Now you're shipping a whole shark, keeping it cold, trying to ice it. So that's where they would typically just cut the fins off and they dry them. And then you, know, you go to you know some markets in Chinatown, you'll see them dried out. You know, So it just makes it cheaper that way. Once you start having to do this whole other process, the cost goes through the roof.
0: So is anybody shark fishing around here off Long Island? Like, do they still do that? Or is it more like a catch and release thing? I'm just wondering what the situation is with shark hunting around here.
4: No, so there is a commercial fishery. You know, there are species that are still harvested commercially. You know, mako shark is and thresher shark are still uh, harvested. Um, some species like the mako, though, their numbers are t- t- dramatically declining uh, due to some of these pressures. And some of the, the biggest problem we have is you know, we're pretty good here in the United States as far as our fisheries go. Um, the, wor- the rest of the world is not always. And a uh, Mako shark, even though we can regulate it here in the U.S., um, they travel the world. I mean, one of the first Makos that we ever got a recapture on, we tagged five miles out of Shinnecock, uh, Shinnecock Inlet. And a year and seven months later, was recaptured off the coast of Africa. So it was 2,200 miles away. Wow. So if you know the other countries are not managing these fisheries the same as we are, then they're just getting caught and killed at younger ages, you know, and that, and that's where this big problem is. We really, It's really more of a global uh, issue than it is just a state or country. You know, it's, it's a mako shark will travel the Atlantic Ocean um, and, and they get caught all over the place. So that, that's where some of the issues become. It's, you know, like I said our fisheries are pretty strong. I mean, one, you know, local commercial fishery that is sustainable for sharks is uh, spiny dogfish, which is you know, they uh, similar to the sand shark. They only get about six feet long. Um, they're very common. Most recreational fishermen consider them a pest. Um, but if you go to Europe and have fish and chips, you're most likely eating dogfish. Um, I've eaten them myself. They're quite delicious. But again, it's a sustainable fishery. It's managed properly so that they're harvesting. Their harvest numbers are at the level where the population can either sustain itself or continue to grow so there are some species that that works with but not not a majority of them
0: so i wondered do you want to talk about the um the the presence of the great white um whites here because i believe that um wasn't it it discovered that there was sort of a, a great white nursery off the coast of montauk and just curious like how the great white situation has changed um in the last few years and if that might be a a global warming thing or um or it's a bait thing or what
4: yeah so i mean so it's always it's been speculated uh, you know the scientists have always assumed that the new york bite which is pretty much from cape may new jersey to montauk that little triangle of water um known as the new york bite was always known as a nursery grounds going back as far as 1800 Um, from 1800 to 2010, there were over 600 white sharks recorded in that area from either recreational fishing, commercial fishing, scientific surveys, washing up dead. So it's always been speculated that they were here. Uh, In 2015, our team caught a young of the year white shark. And that's the thing too. So those at those 600, most of those sharks were under four, were around four feet. So they were all young of the year. So that's where it was like, all right, this might be an important nursery ground. So it hadn't been confirmed. But then in 2015, we caught a young of the year white shark. We tagged it with a PSAT, which is a pop off satellite or arch- archival tag. And we found out later that we were the first ones to ever do that to a white shark, a baby white shark in the Atlantic. Uh, that got the attention of O-Search, Chris Fisher and O-Search. Uh, And he'd heard the same paper or read the same research papers we had that you know it's always been speculated that there was a nursery in this area. After we caught that one he was like hey let's see if we can try to finally prove that this is the case. Uh, And over two summers with O'Search, we tagged 20 young of the year white sharks right off of Montauk. Uh, which kind of secured the, that fact that like, all right, yes, there is a nursery around here because now we have data of these sharks going back and forth from Montauk to New York city and back and forth using the New York bite. And then many of these sharks came back a second year and a third year. Um, so it's, we've kind of confirmed that this is a nursery. And I do want to point out that it's a nursery, but we do not know where they're born. We speculate they're probably born a little further South and then they move North um, but we're not sure. We just know that they hang out here for protection. Um, now, again, historically, they were here, um, but the white shark was unprotected. Um, people would go out and catch it just to catch it and bring it back to the dock and show this big monster of the sea. Uh, and then typically would just get discarded in a dumpster. But in the early 70s, uh, mid 70s, I guess it was, they were, they were protected. And since actually it might've been later than that, I I, I'm really bad with dates. I'm sorry about that, but they were then protected and as they were protected, their numbers started to come back. Um, and again, as bunker return, their food is here. Um, just like up in Cape Cod, we're seeing, we're hearing a lot more of these great whites, the adults, the 10 to 12, 16 footers, um, they return, not necessarily because of bunker, but the food they eat, the gray seal. Uh, return so we hunted gray seals almost to extinction in the united states Uh, and then in 1972 they were protected so again it's kind of like the bunker scenario as the food comes back the predators come back with it Uh, you know so uh, and and that's that's a sign of a healthy environment that's one thing i think a lot of people don't always get is you know sharks need a healthy environment all top predators need a healthy environment you know they need a the food chain below them to be strong and healthy otherwise they're not going to be here so having sharks is a sign that you know what our waters aren't as bad as they might uh, seem to be at times
1: so, so sharks made the headlines over the last few weeks there were shark sightings up up the island and then um well a couple weeks ago by the time this airs in near pikes beach in west hampton and pog beach in hampton bays and we had actually posted some video provided to us by south hampton Town police uh, from their drone unit of these sharks feeding on the bunker. Really incredible video to, to watch. But do we have an idea of, of what kind of sharks those were? Obviously, they were just looking at bunker. They're not looking for swimmers, but people do freak out a little bit.
4: Yeah, so I saw those videos. And in fact, I've taken my own videos that are very similar to that. Um, and a lot of the people in the press uh, lately and the town officials have been calling them blacktip sharks. Uh, they've also been calling them black tip reef sharks. Now one thing I like to point out is black tip reef sharks are from the Pacific Ocean. They're not in the Atlantic. We do have black tip sharks um, in the Atlantic, but they are very similar to a shark known as a spinner shark.
1: Uh-huh.
4: And unless you have that shark in your hand, you can't really tell them apart. Um, they all have, They both have black tips on all their fins, except the spinner shark does not have black on its anal fin. So unless you lift the tail of the shark up to look at it, you're not going to be able to tell what species it is. But
1: And, and I'm not doing that.
4: Right. And my, <laughs> and, yeah, just wait out, lift it up. Like, oh, there you go. Um, but the, the, the thing is, so our team has been out while I'm flying on those schools. Uh, we've caught those sharks and everyone that we've caught has been a spinner shark. Uh, and we're, we're, you know, we're getting them next to the boat. We're taking blood. We're taking fins clippings. We're measuring them. So we're putting our hands on the shark. Uh, and they've all been spinner sharks.
0: Why do they call them spinner sharks? I know like they, I know that they're spinner dolphins and they'll leap out of the water and literally spin. Do spinner sharks do the same thing?
4: Exactly. Yes. They do the same exact thing. Uh, I've yet to see it. Uh, but my colleagues at Gotham whale, uh, out of Brooklyn, Uh, They've been taking pictures of these sharks just spinning out of the water. Um, Nobody really knows exactly why they do it, uh, but they're able to just clear the water by feet, you know, like five, six feet out of the water and just spin as they go. So this
0: is a new species for us up here. So do you think it's the warming waters that have to do with it? Or is it more the bunker arriving that has brought them up here?
4: It's probably a little bit of both, but um, I kind of lean more towards the... um, climate change as well. So as the ocean is warming and, and it's, you know, the ocean has been warming, you, you know, we've recorded the temperature it's going up uh, as it goes up. Populations are kind of shifting North to be in that sweet spot. You know, animals have this very specific temperature that they need maybe for spawning for feeding, for, for maybe uh, tolerance, as far as how far, how cold or hot they can live in. Uh, and as the temperature gets warmer, that kind of shifts North. So we're starting to see not only spinner sharks, uh, we're seeing a lot of counto stingrays, which are also common in south, common south of New Jersey. Uh, we're starting to see black drum more frequently, cobia, red drum, sheep's head. These are all fish that are common in the mid-Atlantic, but we're starting to see them here more and more every summer. Uh, so this is again, as things are just shifting. This has this is not. The tropical fish. So, off, you know, I've been since a little kid. I always collected tropical fish that would drift here on the Gulf Stream. on um, the Gulf Stream is about 100 miles offshore. It's a warm water river that comes up from the Caribbean, and with it would bring small, little, tiny tropical fish that would then drift inshore and be here for the summer and that kind of stuff. But um, that's a little bit different what we're seeing here because these are all coastal animals that are just kind of swimming up the coast. They're not drifting here on the Gulf Stream.
1: So, as so as these spinner sharks come in close to shore, obviously they're not looking at humans as prey but but if they're feeding on a school of bunker you, j- you just want to stay out of their way right so if the lifeguards are saying don't go in the water that's a pretty good i uh, pretty good thing right
4: yeah yeah i mean they're fishier every shark that i've mentioned so far today uh are fish eaters when they're here on long island especially they're eating fish and what would happen is you know they go into those big schools of bunker and they're just kind of grabbing at them slashing at them you know in the bunker at darton it's
1: like like the china buffet you're just kind of you're just going at it Right.
4: Right. Exactly. You're just shoveling food into your <laughs> mouth, you know, and if someone's arm is in the way, then they might bite that arm, you know, but they're right. not, they're just not even designed to feed on us if they wanted to, they just don't have the jaw strength. They don't have the teeth to, you know, so like an adult great white has big triangular serrated teeth for breaking through bone and things like that. Most of these fish, that these sharks have long skinny pointy teeth, you know, so especially like a sand tiger shark or a mako, long skinny teeth. They start biting into something hard. They just break their teeth. They're not meant for it. The long skinny teeth are meant to sink into soft flesh of a fish and grab it and swallow it. So yeah, if you see a school of bunker, Coming along, it's probably wise not to swim through the school of bunkers We well, wouldn't stay. want to anyway, right? Well,
0: you can have bluefish in there too, which will also yeah. yeah. And, and, and and
4: same thing, same thing with bluefish. They're not there to chomp on you, but as they're, they're feeding the friends right. you, yeah, you're you're kind of in the way, you know that kind of stuff.
1: If you do come face to face with with a spinner or some other shark, you're out there. I mean, what's the best thing to do? Just move away, right? I mean, that's...
4: They're going to they're gonna flee before you well, even before probably you get do, to right? see them. All right. You know, but like I tell everybody, if you see one, well, get out of the water. You know, that's really... Right. That's really... Because I've had people kind of egg me in or not egg me on, but like try to pull me to say, punch it in the nose, you know? And <laughs> now you're just punching a shark where its teeth are, you know? Now you have a pissed off shark. Yeah, so, it's mad. you know, <laughs> I would just try to get out of the water, you know, but again you know, I give a lecture on sharks or, you know, and people right away are like, I'm never going swimming again. Oh my God. Cause especially when they hear where we catch the white sharks, you know, we're 40 feet of water, 50 feet, of water, we're less than a mile from the beach. And for a shark, that's nothing. As I said before, that Mako went 2200 miles. So a mile is, it's like walking the park. Um, you know, but the, that same person who's afraid to go swimming now will jump in their car, you know, start playing with the radio, talking to their friend behind them and the, or on the phone or trying to text or eat a hamburger, they're going to die in a car crash before they even ever see a shark. And that's the realistic part of it. And, you know, I mean, you know, you've, you've I'm sure all seen accidents, known someone who's died in a car crash or fatal, you uh, know, seriously injured. Uh, how many people, you know, have been bit by a shark? You know, and uh, so that's, I I wish people had the fear of driving as they do with sharks. We'd mm-hmm. all be much safer. And the
0: roads would be much more empty.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. Suffolklaw.com.
0: 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, southamptonsagharborbooks.com. So you have not seen a lot of great whites out here this summer, I'm guessing. Do you think they migrated more up to like Cape Cod? I've heard about a lot more great whites up there. And I don't know if it was because they're really going after the seal population up there.
4: No, no. So, I mean, they're here this summer. They're here in large numbers. We just haven't been lucky. Uh, We get a lot of people calling us and sending us pictures. And we always ask the public if you catch a great white. Uh, please take a picture of it. Send us the info. You don't have to give us exact locations. We don't need your secret fishing hole, but really just a generic like, hey, we got one off of Southampton. We got one here. And a picture to prove it. Uh, that it. Not that we don't believe you, um, but <laughs> many times when I've had people send me a picture of a great white, it's a mako, it's a sandbar, it's some other species of shark. So we just want the picture just to confirm the report. Uh, but yeah, this year, I think it's more of a luck thing uh because like i said we've gotten a lot of reports of sharks and, and again one thing to keep in mind right now the adults are up north off of cape cod eating seals the young will not be up there because mom and dad will also eat the young sharks so uh, what happens okay. is the okay. nursery area and the shark area the, the adults are two separate areas uh, because they can't intermingle once mom gives birth they're food they'll be eat them there. so um there's no parental so do
0: the sharks did the baby swim away or did the mom swim away because she knows she'll be tempted they just, to have she dinner? She dumps
4: them and keeps on going. It's, there's no parental care and that goes for all sharks. Um, so one of the problems that we might see with climate change um, is uh, not only climate change, but say an expanding seal population. So seals are up in Cape Cod, but now they're starting to spend a lot more time over Little Gull and Great Gull and Plum Island on the North Fork of Long Island. Well, as those seals there, they're going to attract bigger adult white sharks. But now you're kind of mingling with the nursery ground, which means the young might move offshore. They might move further south. We don't really know. So that's something we're going to try to keep looking at. So one of the things that the museum, one of the biggest questions the museum is trying to ask is how are sharks using our waters? So we want to know, are they here and only in the summer, here in the winter? Are they deep? Are they shallow? Are they in the bay? So the tags that we use, like the satellite tag, will give us temperature, depth, location. Um, you know, uh, so that kind of gives us an idea, a 3D look of, of where they're going. Are they going up, down? So it's, it's really interesting. And, and as we go forward, the more tags we put out, we might be able to answer some of these questions as far as, all right, are the young white sharks going to leave this area because now we're starting to see adults? You know, there's all that stuff that we, we don't know.
0: So how live is the um, information that you get? I know like Osearch, I've looked on their site and you'll see, be able to see like the map of where the sharks have been going. Although they're not that, you know, I was like, oh, look, there's one right off the coast here. And then you look, it was like two years ago. So I just wonder how, how immediate can that be? And is that a goal to be able to track sharks more? In real so time? the
4: tags that we're using, uh, there's no real time data, unfortunately. So we put the tag on the shark. It stays with the shark. The ones we're using right now stays with the shark for about a month and then it pops off hits the surface, sends a signal to a satellite, and then we start downloading the data. Um, So we'll get 30 days. And what happens is that 30 days is we're taking data points every two seconds for 30 days. It's the the Excel sheet is millions of lines of data. And that's what gives us that really fine tuned look. The tags that um, Osearch use are called spot tags. They go on the dorsal fin. They only give data when the dorsal fin breaks the surface. And all they'll know is where it is at that moment. And it's a pretty, it could be a pretty big circle depending on the, 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 the amount of satellites that it, it hits. Like if it just breaks the surface for a split, split second, you know, the circle where it might be might be a couple of miles. Um, while if it stays up for a while, we'll get a more accurate zone. You know, but again, that's just giving us where it is. Uh, other tags that we've used in the past, um, acoustic tags, they go in the shark and they admit a little ping And there's receivers throughout the ocean. Scientists use acoustic tags for all sorts of critters. And anytime one of our tags swims by a receiver, the receiver records it. And then when that researcher pulls their receiver from the water, they have a whole list of all these numbers. And they go through and they try to figure out whose numbers are what, and then they'll send it to us. So some of the researchers that I work with here at Stony Brook University Um, are studying the amount of animals that use the artificial reef, which is right offshore. And she's got acoustic receivers on the reef and she's picked up adult white sharks that were tagged up off of Cape Cod um, here in the winter time, you know, so they're swimming in our area in the winter, which makes sense because we have seals here in the winter time. So, so there's several different types of tags, but again, none of ours are going to be like, you can go to an app, but if you go to the museum you can get pretty up-to-date research findings. So as we get data, we put them into the display that's at SOFO.
0: So how many sharks do you t- think you tagged this summer? Do you go out once a week, every day? So Greg
4: Metzger, who is our uh, chief, field, uh, chief field coordinator, um, he is out as many times as he can. He's a high school teacher at Southampton. Uh, so he's off in the summertime. And if the weather's good, he's out there every day. He can possibly get out there. Uh, this summer, I believe he's tagged 25 or so, don't exact quote, but he's somewhere around two dozen wow. sharks. Um, some of them for us have been first as far as what we've done. Um, so for example, we've uh, we tagged those spinner sharks. Uh, we put a PSAT, which is that pop-off satellite tag, which nobody in the world has ever done to a spinner shark. So we've put out at least one, it might've been two. Uh, on spinner sharks we've also put out a cat's cam on a spinner shark which again has never been done in the world and a cat's cam is it it mounts on the dorsal fin of the shark and it records speed um, depth temperature uh, acceleration so we get an idea how the shark moves through the water and more importantly it's got a high def camera so we're able to see the view of the shark from from the shark's perspective and the spinner shark footage we got was The spinner shark footage was awesome. I mean, it swam for a couple hours and all of a sudden it found a school of like 20 sharks. And it started swimming with all these spinner sharks. And uh, you can go to the SoFo social media pages on Facebook or Instagram and see the video clip. It's it's wild. It's so cool. But nobody's ever done that before. Uh, We also deployed one on a thresher shark, which has never been done before. The thresher shark video was kind of boring. It was seven hours of just swimming. It never came in touch with anything else. It just swam and swam and swam. But those tags stay on for 12 to 24 hours, depending on the species. And we have to physically get the tag back. So when it pops off, we go out with a radio transmitter and we try to find the tag. And so far, we've been five for five getting the tags back. No.
0: So so when you, mm-hmm. when you um, tag the sharks, um, are they caught from a boat? Is that how you actually get them? Like you actually net
2: them or yeah
4: so we fish them just like uh recreational fishing would do so we go out on a boat we set our chum we set lines uh when we catch the shark you know the gear we're using you know we're we're not here to have fun you know we're we're, the rods and reels we use are bigger than we probably need to so we can crank them in as fast as we can because we want to get them to the boat as quickly as possible we'll put a tail rope on them turn them upside down they go catatonic. they kind of just go into a daze and at that point, we could take all of our measurements, length, width. We'll take tissue samples. Um, to, if we have our veterinarian on the boat, we'll draw blood. Uh, and then we will write the shark. And as soon as you write it to put the tag on, it wakes right up, it starts splashing around. Uh, we tag it and we let it go. And the whole process is usually under 10 minutes.
1: And it doesn't hurt the shark.
4: No, it's it's you know, it's like piercing their uh, ear like an earring. Yeah. Like I said, some of the tags pop off. Uh, some of them stay permanently with the shark, but they're so small that they don't even, they don't even know it. Um, but yeah, it, it just gives us a really good look into the life of these sharks.
0: So do you ever find like bull sharks or tiger sharks around here? Have you ever had those?
4: So we have caught one tiger and I've gotten drone footage of a tiger shark. A small one was about 300 pounds. They can get about 1200. So that was a baby. Um, bull sharks are fairly rare. There was one caught on long Island. Well, was said it was on long island we never really got confirmation of that it was hard to tell because social media people could say whatever they want you know in the background it's just the ocean so it could be anywhere you know but uh there supposedly was one caught uh to the west uh last summer but they're fairly rare in this area and like i said that's the only one i've even ever heard of uh in this area so that's not something we typically see. And then even the tiger sharks, that was 30 miles offshore. That was out in the Gulf Stream. So is
0: it so, but as the temperatures warm, are these two species that we might see more of?
4: Potentially, sure, yeah. maybe Maybe not as much the tiger, Probably more so the bull, just because the tiger sharks are going to be more out in the Gulf Stream and the bull sharks are more coastal, so they might come up the coast just like the spinners and cow rays and things like that.
3: Are there any populations that you've seen in previous summers that aren't here anymore because they've moved further up north, or is that something that you're expecting to happen in the future?
4: Uh, well, we're seeing less makos, but that's due more to overfishing. You know, that's a fishery that's in a lot of trouble right now. Um, so I don't put that as much as a climate change thing as more of a fishing thing. Um, you know, we've we've, anecdotally, we've seen less blue sharks this last year. You know, they tend to be cooler water sharks. Um, things heated up a little bit earlier this year, so that could potentially be, but we don't have enough data to kind of say yes or no on that. I'm just going by, you know, what we kind of saw this summer. You know, in one year, you can't really judge anything by a year either with some of this, some of this stuff, you know, um, you know, you can definitely tell water temperature changing, but sometimes things might just be an off year.
1: How much has the the temperature increased over the last few years?
4: Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know the numbers on that, um. We're not talking you know like twenty degrees, it's right. it's a couple degrees, and that's the that's the thing, like the global average ocean temperature. if it only goes up a couple degrees, that might not seem like a lot to people like, ah, but that could be significant. you know it only takes a degree or two to to kind of tip things.
0: Sure. So have you found any basking sharks? I know there were some off East Hampton a few years ago. They were every summer. We'd seem like we get a couple basking sharks, which are really cool. But
4: I have not seen a basking shark up here since I bought my drone. (laughs) So (laughs) I would blame it on that. But, uh, you know, no, I have not seen many uh, at all. Actually, I have not seen a basking shark in like four or five years. Uh, Toby Curtis, who's our chief scientist uh, at SOFO, he has done a lot of work with basking sharks up off of Cape Cod where they've been tagging them and whatnot. So uh, they're such a cool shark, but they're harmless, completely harmless. You know, they eat plankton.
0: They don't even have teeth. They just like filter feed, like... Oil sharks, kind of right.
4: Yeah, they they honestly they eat pretty much the same stuff that bunker. Eat. You know, they're filter feeders. So you know that's the thing about bunker too is they're filter feeders. They they feed the same way as a basking shark. They've got gill rakers and they swim through the water with their mouths open and just yeah. sieve plankton from the water.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things is the basking sharks are pretty large. I think that's what was freaking people out when they were yeah. in Southeast Hampton.
4: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I want to say it was maybe eight years ago. Uh, there was a couple basking sharks off of West Hampton and they shut the beaches down. And I was down on the beach with the reporters talking about just how that, you know, they're basking sharks, you know, And, and, and a lot of it's with the dorsal fin, you know, they got a little bit rounder dorsal fin. So, um, but again, not everybody's an expert, you know, and if you see a big fin, it's probably advisable just to stay out of the water a little bit, you know, and, and enjoy it, you know, and that's the thing too. Everyone, Thinks that they, ah, I can't go swimming because of sharks, but you know what? It's, it's a, it's a cool thing. I mean, I mean, let's just say, I mean, I, I, I'm not a fan of, you know, discovery shark week and whatnot, but look how many people tune in to watch sharks. Well, if there's a shark on your beach, how cool is that? You know, that's, that's just something that's really neat and positive. And you know what? Stay out of the water for a little bit, watch the shark, enjoy it. And then, you know, go swimming later. You know,
2: you see any mola molas out there.
4: I've seen one this summer um but i gotta you know that's the thing too is like earlier in the sea they're more of a cold water species they're here usually earlier in the season but early summer was horrible getting offshore this year It was windy every day and it was rough every day once it started to calm down out uh, of water temperatures were more summer based and they just they seemed to like that cooler cold water so i usually would see them in like may june and then again, in September, October is generally when they start seeing them, but they're a really cool fish, but another one that will freak people out, you know, they, cause they'll spend time at the surface with that big fin. And that's, you know, right away, if the fin is a shark, you know, but, but when you watch it, their fin goes back and forth because that's how they swim. So they kind of undulate their upper, their dorsal and ventral fin back and forth. Um, so a shark is just kind of going to go straight through the water while the the mola mola just kind of wobbles, you know, such so yeah. as
0: like sunfish, right? Isn't that yeah. the same kind of chopped off looking thing?
4: Yeah. It looks like a giant head, with just yeah, two big fins. Cool. Yeah.
2: I saw one a few years ago while, while I was actually doing a helicopter ride out of Gabreski and me and the other guy, we looked down and we we're like, is that a shark? And we took these photos and like, and what we found out is that it was the sunfish literally sunning itself. Yeah. And I think the deal is that they want birds to land on them to remove the parasites
4: yeah so they'll they'll sit up on the surface on their side to warm up because they're again usually feeding down deeper where it's cold um the bird thing i've heard once or twice and i don't know if that's exactly uh true but i do know they will breach clear out of the water they will jump four feet out of the water which is kind of silly you know amazing to believe because it's like how does this thing even move but Uh, two summers ago, I spotted one that was about a mile away because it jumped two or three times out of the water, making a giant splash. And when I got there, it was just this big mola mola. I thought I was going to see a a whale or something. And, uh, but when I put my GoPro in the water, it was covered in parasites on its Mm. face, which is, you know, pretty common. It's not, it's not like that was dying from it, but it's probably a little itchy and it's believed that they'll jump to kind of bang these parasites off their body a little Mm. bit, you know, but yeah, they're pretty cool.
0: So, um, so the whales that we're seeing live happily with the sharks that we're seeing Are they, uh, did they get along? Okay.
4: Yeah. The whales that are here are way too big for any of the sharks. And again, the only shark that would be uh, thinking it could maybe eat a whale would be a, would be a, a great white. And that it would have to be a very big, great white. Um, you know, often when whales wash up or are found dead offshore, um, there's usually great whites either nibbling on them or signs that they were nibbling on them. Uh, I, I got pictures. Was it, I think it was last year or maybe it was the summer of four of a humpback that was floating on waters off East Hampton. And there were no sharks on it. Unfortunately, I was really excited. I hope I would see one. But uh, there were there were big, giant bites taken out of the side of the shark where you could just tell they were chewing on. it, And that's part of their food. You know, white shark, adult white sharks feed on dead whales. You know, that's their their thing. You know, a, a live, healthy humpback is is not really going to be something that a white shark is going to go for. Around here, the white shark, uh, the humpbacks that I've photographed locally, uh, the one predator that I've seen that they've encountered are orcas, killer whales. Uh, many of the whales, the humpbacks in our waters will have scar marks from when they're up north when they tangle with orcas as, as they're young. There was one that was off of, um, off of Road K last summer a couple of times that had its dorsal fin uh, chewed off and you could see the bite marks from where it was an orca. And also on their tail, they'll raise their tail you'll see these three or four like circular scars, and those are from orcas biting them at the tail. Mm-hmm.
0: Are there orcas in the North Atlantic?
4: Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, but, uh, I'm trying keep said <laughs> I'm really bad with dates because everything kind of seems to go together. but it was either last summer or the summer before somebody sent me video of it was five, five or six orcas that were about 30 miles south of here really? off of Long Island um and then there was uh if you google this you'll find it uh off of virginia beach a couple years back there was a couple orcas and it was february off the beach down in virginia so every once in a while they go a little bit further south um maybe chasing tuna uh off of gloucester they usually see one big bull that's every once in a while there's someone will post a picture or video of this big bull that's out in stellwagen bank you know so they will venture south but it's uh not very common
0: I have to say the uh the discovery channel has a shark blimp that i saw fly over i uh, don't have you seen that it's pretty, it's pretty awesome i gotta tell you they have a shark week blimp and it's a shark that's shaped like a blimp and it flies right over while you're sitting on the beach and thinking about going in the water
4: yeah yeah it's fun. a couple a uh, couple of my followers that sent me uh pictures of that asking if i wanted to tag it <laughs> <laughs> yeah right
0: <laughs> there you go Uh, The
4: biggest message though i I really like to drive home with people is you know don't fear sharks respect the sharks uh see that seeing them here an it means it's good it's an important thing you know and a healthy environment is good for all of us you know and uh you know again be more afraid when you get behind the wheel of your car you know i think we'll all be better off
0: and if it keeps improving like this you're going to need a bigger boat
4: (laughs) need a bigger boat yeah when we when we're out there tagging, there's a lot of Jaws references that get thrown around. As, as you know, as as corny as a movie and as negative an impact it had on sharks, most of us in the shark field or even just marine biology field kind of still like it because a lot of the things they say we can relate to. So it's definitely it's a fun movie that and that. aspect.
0: And of course, Quint is yeah. based on Frank Mundas out of Mohawk. So it's got a, yeah. a local reference for it. for oh, yeah, and for worse, You know. All right, can we do the theme? Ready? That was perfect. That's about all I can do. John Williams is going to sue me now. All right, any more shark questions?
3: What's the closest that any of these sharks would come to shore? Sort of a personal question, but like if I'm standing in the and I'm touching the touching the bottom, what are the chances?
4: Yeah. Right there. Right there. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's funny. People always say close to shore and then they're always shocked when I say, well, they're also found in the bay. So just because you're in the bay doesn't mean you're not going to see sharks. So one of our white sharks that we tag with Osearch that we use acoustic tags on in 2016, came back in 2017, swam into the Great South Bay stayed there for a little while, and then swam back out. And the only reason we know that is because of the acoustic tag. It swam past three receivers in Great South Bay and then swam past them again on the way out. And the only way you can get a signal is if the shark or that tag comes within a certain distance of those receivers. So it's not like you're going to get a, a really big circle where the shark is, like, like with those spot tags. It's, if you got it on your receiver, it was there. There's no question about that um you know when i worked at the aquarium most of the sand tiger sharks that we had on display were collected in great south bay and shinnecock bay you know so um, we do have big sharks in the bay as well so that's when people always ask how close to shore i'm like well it's a negative number because they actually come into the bay as well does
0: that make you feel better uh, a little
3: bit <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know you you're, you're more likely to, to cut your foot on beach glass than you will on Coming across a shark, and I spend a lot of time. Actually, almost every morning, I if, if the weather allows, I am out looking for sharks or whales, dolphins, you name it, whatever. I go. I'm either on my boat or I get down to the beach, at a couple different spots before work, and I scan. I send up my drone. I go looking around. Um, this week, for example, I got it Wednesday, Thursday, and this morning. Wednesday, I had two humpback whales. Lunge feeding. I got some amazing pictures and drone video. You could see that on my social media, Fish Guy Photos on Facebook and Instagram. But then I spent all morning Thursday and all morning today, nothing, not a thing. They didn't see nothing. So you know, again, I'm out there all the time and I, you know, I don't see stuff. So if you're just going to the beach on a weekend, chances are you ain't going to see nothing. You got to put in the time.
1: So Zoe, just call Chris next time you want to go swimming yeah. and he'll yeah. let you know if it was a good day or a bad
4: day.
0: Sounds good. <laughs> I wonder, do you find spots that are more reliable than others? Like, you know, where you know that you can see them more often?
4: Yeah. Uh, yes and no. You know, it's, uh, it's all where the fish is. You know, the food is like. So like this morning, I found tons of bunker it was just nothing eating them they were just swimming along you know maybe there was something below them but there was no signs of scared bunker they were all happy bunker just kind of <laughs> swimming along um but yeah there's certain places that i tend like honestly in front of tiana beach uh is is a pretty regular spot for me i i out of all the places i go i've probably seen more whales with my toes in the sand at tiana beach than I have anywhere else on the South shore
0: First, I wonder is there like a jetty effect. Cause I find like we live in East Hampton and we often have good luck, like by the Georgia jetties.
4: So Georgia, Capon Meacocks Bay, when they open those um, those are great times to see fish. Cause uh, cause what happens is you got all that Bay water and all those little bait fish and they make the cut. And when it dumps out, it attracts all sorts of predators. So, uh, yeah when the cuts open that's always a good spot also like georgica or me to see things um, but once that closes then it's almost no different than the rest of the beach you know yeah. so it's just something that's a little bit different uh that um, draws them in
0: so i wanted to go back i wanted to ask you just another quick question about um the menhaden and the bunker was that what they used to um process at the promised land out yep. in that peak? okay yep
4: yeah so that's, that's so that's the thing it Bunker historically were always here in large numbers I mean they had rendering plants out on the east end to process that because when they when they killed all the whales they went to Menhaden for their oil Um, but by then they started realizing there were other products that could be done and and it wasn't as big of a thing anymore so now it's it's more for these other fisheries but yeah no that all that area those are all old um, Menhaden refineries.
0: When do you think they stopped processing out there? It looks like it's been a while. Oh,
4: it's been a long time. I, again, I'm not good with dates, but I want to say it was the early 1900s. That early? Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't, it wasn't, and I could be wrong. I would, I would look into that more, but I, again, I'm not really good with dates. I, I get that mixed up a but lot. It was it last week? No, it's, it's been, a, it's been way before I was alive. Let's put it that way.
0: I, I guess it was really smelly. Like there's all sorts of stories, oh. that, like the promised land was sort of a joke name because it, really smell bad
4: oh it's horrible especially when you know the, the value of the land out there right now and that was what was going on there i couldn't even imagine it you know um we got a natural fish kill here in the bay and everybody's up, upset because of the smell from a few dead fish i couldn't imagine the complaints that would come from a bunger rendering facility you know <laughs> oh. it'd be pretty gross
0: <laughs> so we don't really want those good old days back
4: nope not at no. all not no. at all
0: we know everything there is to know about sharks now
4: thank you thank you for the opportunity uh, to, to come out and just kind of give a little bit more uh, information about sharks. And, you know, like I said, the work that we're doing at the South Fork Natural History Museum is, uh, is groundbreaking in many, many ways. And I, I highly recommend if you have not been to the museum to go check it out. They've got a really cool touch screen interactive display where you can be a shark biologist and you all right, you got to load the boat. You know, what do you need? You need this, you need that. All right, we're going to draw blood. What kind of needles should we use? And it's really informative. And then as I mentioned, as we publish papers, uh, as we get more data, we'll put stuff out, and we constantly are updating updating that. So you can check that out and definitely follow it. Uh, follow SOFO on Facebook and Instagram as well for updates. We'll
1: certainly be keeping in touch.
4: Yeah, and and, and Zoe, thanks again. That was that was a great article. I really we, the whole team enjoyed it because I'll be honest with you, most of the time we talk to reporters, it's the parts that get cut out are the important parts, and the stuff that gets put in, we're like, I didn't say that, <laughs> so. Um, the whole team was really excited. So thank you so much for doing that. That was, that came out great.
3: I had a great time. It was awesome to write and learn about, um, learn about all the sharks. And now she's not afraid. So, all right. uh, still a little <laughs> afraid, but never been a huge ocean swimmer, but.
4: You're better educated now. Now you have a better understanding, at least a better respect yeah, for the sharks.
3: That's definitely yeah. true.
4: I got quoted. I I never even said this, but I got quoted in the New York Times saying that more people die from toasters. And I'm like, I did I'm like, what? Like, I don't even know where that fact came from. I'm like, all right, sure. What you know, it's probably true, but I didn't say it. So I got a a few of my buddies had to give me a hard time about toasters. I got some toaster gifts. That's
3: great. That's really funny.
4: So if you said that, I would
3: have put it in for sure.
1: 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. Suffolklaw.com.
0: Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sackharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.